Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them to the book of Ephesians and the first chapter of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You can take that Bible and turn in it to page 150, and you will be at Ephesians 1. As we're concluding the celebration of Christmas, we're really at the finish line of the old year, and we're at the dawning of a new year. And so we have before us... uh, some fresh days and a fresh year, and we really have an opportunity for a fresh start. I want you to look around the room. Look around the room and just look at who's here, and you're, you're going to see that in one sense we're different from one another, and you look around and you say, yeah, we really are, but in another sense we're very much the same. You see, it makes no difference whether you are young or old, whether you are married or whether you are single whether you are teen or whether you are a retiree, whether you are a boomer or a buster or a Gen Xer or a millennial. doesn't make any difference if you're blue collar, white collar, or no collar. All of us have the same 1440. All of us have the same 1440. What do I mean by that? Well, just imagine this for a moment. Imagine that it's your bank. Each morning, they credited your account with $1,440. Each day, you got $1,440. But the interesting thing is that your balance doesn't carry over from day to day. So you picture what I'm saying. In your bank, you get $1,440 every day, but the balance doesn't carry over. So what do you do? Well, the answer would be you would want to make use of every dollar every day, and you would want to do more than just spend it. If you're really wise, you would want to invest it. You would want to utilize that 1440 every day. Well, here's the point. Each one of us has a bank that's called T-I-M-E. And each day we are credited in that bank with 1,440 minutes. And every night at the stroke of midnight, those minutes expire. There's no carryover. There's no balance. And if we fail to utilize those minutes and invest those minutes, guess what? They're really gone forever. And as we look into this new year that is coming, we have before us a whole series, 365 of them, of 1440s. And what I want to do this Sunday and then next Sunday is talk about what I'm calling a fresh start, perspective for a new year. And we're going to be looking at two different things. First of all, in regarding a fresh start, for a new year, we're going to look at a prayer for the new year. And that prayer is to learn more deeply as we utilize our 1440s. And then next week, I want to talk about a challenge for the new year, which is to live more wisely. 
as we deal with our 1440. So we're going to take part of it this week and then part of it next week as we look at a fresh start, perspective for a new year. We want to begin with by looking at this idea of a prayer for the new year, and it is a prayer to learn more deeply. And I want you to notice in your Bibles, chapter 1 of Ephesians, verses 15 and following. In fact, I'm going to read down through verse 23 and invite you in your Bible to follow along as I read. Notice what Paul writes here. He says, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Notice what he specifically prayed for, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, in January, specifically on the 23rd of January, I am going to turn 60 years old. Yeah, I know, shocking, isn't it? But what's really interesting about that era of life is that I have reached the point where I really have very little need. You know, I had people asking me at Christmas time, Where's your Christmas list? We need your Christmas list. Pretty soon I'm going to be hearing, we want your birthday list. And part of the deal is, I don't know what to put on these lists. You know, partly it's because I've been blessed by God, and and part of it is I'm in a situation where usually on a normal basis I'm able to get what I need. The list isn't just what it used to be. And I remember, I remember my father going through that phase, and I remember my father-in-law going through that phase. And, and you know, you would, you would say to yourself, what do you get someone for Christmas who has everything? I want you to notice something very interesting in Ephesians 1. I want you to notice in verse 3, which we didn't read yet. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What are you going to pray for people who have everything? See, that's the dilemma that Paul was faced with because he said, as a follower of Jesus, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So what do you pray for people like that? Well, the answer is... Verse 17, 
We pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, I want you to see what you have, that you can have wisdom about what God has provided. By the way, the prayer that we're going to be looking at today is a great prayer to pray for yourself in the new year. What we're going to cover in the next few minutes would be an incredible prayer to pray for yourself. It's a great prayer to pray for your spouse. It's a great prayer to pray for your children. It is a great prayer to pray for your friends who know Jesus. In fact, it is my prayer for you as we take a fresh start into a new year. You remember, when we're talking about prayer, prayer is just a means of connecting with God. And this prayer that Paul unfolds for us is a prayer that is really connecting us with who he is. It's connecting us with what he has done and provided and what he is doing even right now and what he will be doing as we walk into a new year. But I just want you to see there in verse 17, the core, the heart of the prayer, it's right there. He says, my prayer is that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. My prayer is that God would open up your understanding. In, in my terminology, my prayer is that you would learn more deeply. See, that is the core of the prayer. It's a prayer for wisdom. It, it's saying, I, I want you to see life from God's point of view. I, I want you to learn to utilize the spiritual resources that God has provided. I want you to have wisdom. I want you to know how to live life skillfully. See, that's the thrust of the prayer. And I think it's the best way that we can have a fresh start in the new year. It is the best way that you and I can invest our 1440. So, so notice, he says in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know. He says, there's three things I'm praying that you will know, that you will learn more deeply about. And let's look at those three things, okay? The first thing is, he says, I am praying that you will know what is the hope of his calling. He's saying, I'm praying that you would learn more deeply about the life of hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, there's plenty, I can guarantee it, I don't know all the specifics and with whom to connect what, but there's plenty that is going to happen in 2011. There is going to be some stress and some distress that will come our way. There are going to be some difficulties that will happen. For some of us, there will be medical issues. For some of us, there will be financial struggles. For all of us, there will be some trials and some troubles. 
And I can also say that in 2011, there's going to be some surprises, things that you never even imagined, some twists and some turns that will occur. I don't know what all that may be. You know, we're hearing a lot of news about the economy and the doom and the gloom and the debt and the struggling nations around the world. We've had several nations that basically have already gone bankrupt. Doom and gloom nationally and doom and gloom internationally. And some people have said, well, something big is going to happen in the next year. I don't know. That may or may not be accurate. But as we live out our daily 1440, we need to learn more deeply about the hope of His calling. You know, there's going to be some temptation that's going to come our way. Temptation to panic, uh, some temptation to fret and to worry, um, maybe even for some of us, depending upon what the circumstance may be, a temptation to succumb to fear. There's going to be a temptation to discouragement, a temptation to despair. And what he's saying is, I am praying that God would open up your understanding about the hope of his calling, about the certainty of our position and our destiny with him. No matter what may happen, our position and destiny with him is secure. You know, we have a very, very common cliche that is really unique, to my knowledge, to the United States. If you travel internationally, you will find out that when most people greet one another, they will say good morning or good afternoon or good evening or good day. That's their, their cliche interaction. In the United States, our cliche is when we see someone is what? How are you? And then we have an auto response that we give. Everybody knows the rules, right? How are you? Fine. We're not really communicating anything. It's just sort of a way of waving at one another. How are you? Fine. Occasionally, uh, I like to respond a little bit differently. I did it some this last week. Occasionally, someone will say, well, how are you? And I say, I'm doing really well. I'm seated in the heavenly places right now. Just to, you know, upset the apple cart a little bit. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 6. And I want you to notice that the verbs here are all past tense. As as someone trusts in and believes in Christ, these things are, are true of us. Notice it says, God raised us up, past tense, with him, and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you know Christ personally, even as we stand here today, this morning, positionally, you are seated in the heavenlies. Now, experientially, you are walking the planet with me, but positionally, you are seated in the heavenlies. And this is what Paul's talking about when he says, I hope that you will learn more deeply about the hope of his calling, the certainty of our destiny. Who else is seated in the heavenly places? 
We read about it in chapter 1 and verse 20. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And guess what? We're seated next to him. We have a seat reserved next to Christ. Now, it's, it's presented as past tense. It's true positionally. The idea is it's so certain, men and women, that in a sense we're already seated there. See, this is the hope of his calling. It's such a certain thing, it's already listed as having happened. It's incredible. And again, life is going to happen in 2011. And it's important that we understand as we go through these various experiences that God is not going to give up on you. God is not going to abandon you. It's the hope of his calling, the certainty of our destiny, you see. That's why it says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he who began a good work in you will continue it until it is finally finished. See, that's the certainty of the destiny. He started to work in your life. He's going to complete the work. You will be seated next to him in the heavenly places. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24, it says, faithful is he who calls you, he also will bring it to pass. Now, you have to plug that verse into the context because in the previous verse it says this, your spirit, soul, and body will be preserved complete at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what it's talking about. And then he says, faithful is he who calls you, he also will bring it to pass. As life happens, we need to have a fresh understanding and learn more deeply about the hope of his calling, the sureness of our destiny. And as you face these things and you go through these storms and it gets a little dark at time, we need to keep our eyes forward. Because you see, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are headed home. And even as we go through those things, he is guiding me and guiding you homeward. So it's important we understand. Paul's saying this is the prayer. The prayer is that God would open up our understanding, that we would learn more deeply, first of all, about the hope of his calling. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on, and he says in verse 18, I'm also praying that you would learn more deeply about the riches of his inheritance that you would learn more deeply about our blessings. You know, it is amazing how off-kilter we get about the whole issue of wealth. Again, I can guarantee you that everybody in this room is in the top 5% of the world. We just don't think that way. Because where are our eyes? Our eyes are always on maybe the top point three, three, three percent. You know, when we think about someone who's wealthy, we think of people like Bill Gates, uh, Warren Buffett, the Walton family, if you take them all together, there would be number one. And their wealth is calculated with a B. Billion. Billions. 
of dollars. Now, here's where our, is, is there any reason why we have need of this kind of a prayer? Listen, you know that every believer in Jesus Christ is far wealthier than any of those people I just mentioned. You know that you possess more riches? Do you know that you have a greater inheritance unless those people I just listed off in the list happen to know Christ personally? You ever think about that? He talks here about the rich and glorious inheritance that we have. And that inheritance is measured in numerous ways. I want to show a few of them to you from chapter 1. One way that you measure the riches of our inheritance is that we are chosen. See it in verse 4. It says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That's an amazing statement that the God of the universe picked you to be on his team. He picked you to be adopted into his family. That's exactly what it says in verse 5, right? He picked you out to be adopted into his family. And this wasn't some afterthought. I don't know, I don't have anything to do today. Maybe I'll pick somebody out to be adopted into the family of God. What does it say? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before he ever created it, he had you on his mind. We are his treasured ones. Psalm 94, 14 says, we, his people, are his inheritance. You know, some of you are going to inherit some money someday from, from your family. Guess what gets God excited? He gets to inherit you. You are a treasured one, the king of the universe. You see what a great prayer this is? God, will you show me more? Will you show me more of the riches of my inheritance? Another way the riches of his inheritance is measured, we see in verse 7, and that is that we are forgiven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, your sin demanded hell, but on him the judgment fell. And without Jesus Christ, our destiny would be sure. I could tell you right where we'd all end up. It's not a mystery. The Bible talks about it. Our destiny, every one of us without Christ, our destiny would be the lake of fire. Revelation 14 verse 11 tells us it's a place of torment and judgment forever. But the riches of our inheritance means that we have been forgiven, and we have been forgiven. You notice it says there in verse 7, according to the riches of his grace, he gives it to us as a gracious gift. To know that you are forgiven is the greatest blessing in all of the universe because it changes your destiny. There's another way the riches of his inheritance can be measured, and that is that it is a permanent thing. 
It is a permanent thing. Go with me in your Bible to the right. It's, it's one of the last few books in the, in the Bible. It's the book of 1 Peter and chapter number 1. And I want you to notice there um, in chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, it talks about our inheritance. And it says in chapter 1 and verse 4, it's an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. You ever think about that all this wealth that Bill Gates has and Warren Buffett has and the Walton family have, that it's totally temporary. It's all going to burn up. And none of them are going to take it with them. How long they're going to be on this planet, you know, Sam Walton died a number of years ago, didn't take a dime with him. In fact, all of the wealth, all of those billions, totally worthless in eternity. Means absolutely zip. But not true of the riches of his inheritance. So really what he's saying is, I'm praying that you would learn more deeply. First of all, that you would learn more deeply about the hope of his calling, the certainty of our destiny. And then he says, I want you to learn more about the riches of his inheritance, that we're on his team, that we've been treasured, we're forgiven, we have a permanent inheritance. It just dwarfs the billionaires, totally dwarfs them. And then there's a third thing he says, I want you to learn more deeply about, and that is... Number three, if you go back to Ephesians 1 and verse 19, and that is that you would know more about the surpassing greatness of his power, the greatness of his power. It's interesting, in the New American Standard, it talks about the surpassing greatness of his power. The New Living Translation uses the word incredible. The NIV uses the word incomparable. The ESV, the word immeasurable. The greatness of his power. And by the way, men and women, that's indispensable as we walk through the planet, as you go off to live your 1440s. Let me ask you this question, okay? You don't have to answer audibly, but just answer from your heart. Do you ever feel inadequate when you face life? Do you ever feel like I lack the strength? And of course, we're all thinking to ourselves, yeah, frequently. Well, part of Paul's prayer is that we would have an understanding, you see, of the greatness of his power. In fact, in verse 19, there are four synonyms used there. There's the word power, the word strength, the word might, the word working, which is in the original language, energeia, we get the word energy, E-N-E-R-G-I-A. We get the word energy from that. And it's important to understand when we look at the greatness of his power that it is resurrection power. Did you see that in verse 20? This is the power which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's resurrection power. It's power that can bring new life. 
It's power that can transform us. It can change our heart. Not only is it resurrection power, it is ascension power. We see that in the latter part of verse 20. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age but in the age to come. It is the power that makes him the foremost authority in the universe. It's not only resurrection power and ascension power, it is dominion power. Notice verses 22 and 23, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. He is total dominion. He is in control of all that occurs, and it's his power that gives him the ability to do that. And you know what that means in your life and my life? That everything that occurs in the 1440s that are to come is part of his dominion power. There are no surprises with God. Never have been. In fact, in Ephesians 2.16, he talks about how we are strengthened with power in the inner man. You see, all that we ever really need, I know, I mean, we know this up here, but how do you get it down here? That's part of the prayer. All we ever need is fully available to us. And there are going to be times, men and women, when we become weary of the pursuit of a life of righteousness. Some of you who are younger have already gone through this, where people ridicule you that you're saving yourself for marriage, that you are a virgin. Oh, my goodness. And you get hammered on that, and it just is wearying. And the assault of our culture on righteousness can be overbearing. You remember the story of Lot. You can just jot down the passage, but in 2 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8, it says that Lot, interesting wording, was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled people. He was tormented by their lawless deeds of wickedness. It just wore him down. And yet we have incredible, incredible truth about the greatness of his power that we need to be reminded of. Some of you are going to be wearied by having to deal with difficult people. I think God sends some difficult people into everybody's life. Sometimes we're going to get worn down. Uh, we're going to have to face choices of whether we're going to succumb to feelings of inadequacy or we're going to live in light of our dependence upon him. We're going to have those kind of choices we need to make. And we have available to us the greatness of his power. And so he's saying, I, I want you to learn more deeply about that. In 2 Corinthians 3, 5, Paul says this. He stands up and he says, we are not competent in ourselves. Now, sometimes people read that and they're saying, he, they think he's saying, we're incompetent. He's not saying we're incompetent. He's saying we're not competent in ourselves. He says our competence comes from God. You see, his power, men and women, is greater than any habit we've got. Why do we buy this thought, I have a habit, nothing can be done about it? It's not true. 
His power is able to change our heart. It's able to change our thinking. It's able to change our priorities. It's able to change our lives. Remember how he describes it in 119. It is his surpassing greatness of power. It's incredible. It's incomparable. It's immeasurable. And too often, this is, why, this is how I, I tend to live my life. Too often I live my life as if the power of God was some sort of a mere trickle coming down. You know what I'm talking about? Just a couple of drops of power is all I, oh, wait a minute now. The reality is there's a surging ocean of power that he has provided to us. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, in fact, almost every time I'm praying with someone, I'm, I bring this verse in. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Now, we could spend a lot of time, we could do a whole message on this verse. But do you see what this verse is saying? God is able do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? He is able to do. God is alive. God is at work. And he's able to do far more abundantly beyond what we would even ask. In fact, what we would even dare to think. It's interesting to look at Jesus' interaction with the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew four times in the Gospel of Matthew. He says to them, O ye of little faith. What was their problem? They were looking at the competency of themselves, and Jesus was saying, you are missing it. You're missing it. You do not have because you do not ask. You know, as you go into a new year with a fresh start, his desire is for every one of us to be used in ways that we didn't even imagine. You, you believe that? It's the truth. He wants to use you in ways that you haven't even imagined. What are you trusting him to do in the new year that only he will get the glory for? See, that's not just looking at everything that's always empty. Beginning to think, wait a minute now. What does he want to do? He is able to do more abundantly than we can even think or ask according. Notice it says according to the power that works within us. He is ready to work in your life. And your marriage may be facing difficulties in the 1440s ahead. He wants to work in that. Maybe you're going to have some medical issues that are going to arise. He wants to work in your life through that. Maybe it's your job or school and it's going to feel overwhelming. He wants to work in that. Maybe it's a parent who has an ornery and rebellious child. He wants to work in that. 
See, we need this perspective for the new year, and the prayer that Paul is emphasizing is a prayer to learn more deeply. Number one, about the hope of his calling, the certainty of our destiny. Number two, about the riches of his inheritance, that we are treasured, forgiven, and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And then, to learn more deeply about the greatness of his power. He wants to work in your life. He is ready to work in your life, and his power is immeasurable. So here's a question that I have to wrestle with and you have to wrestle with. How are you going to utilize your 1440 each day? A great prayer for yourself, for your family, for your friends. Lord, would you help me to learn more deeply about these things? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for Scripture because it gives us the perspective that we so desperately need. And I would pray for each one of us that we would learn more deeply about the hope of your calling for us, the certainty of our destiny, that we would learn more about the riches of our inheritance. Oh, to just be remembered that we're a treasured one. And then the greatness of your power. May we not underestimate the way that you can work, change lives, change hearts, change attitudes, And as you do all that, as you answer our prayer this year, we pray that we'll just honor you and give you the glory. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.